fun to be a part of that. Now, I'm not saying I'm fun. I'm a banjo player, so, you know, I'm very serious on stage, and, you know, I'm trying to hit right notes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Keith Billick here, and with another episode of the Picky Fingers podcast. I'm really glad to have you joining me. I really appreciate all of you listening, but one of you in particular, I appreciate even just a little bit more, and that's Matt Hermstead. And Matt gets this extra special appreciation because he is today's Patreon supporter of the show. Matt took up playing banjo a couple years ago in his retirement, and he was living down in Argentina, but I think he's moving back to the States now. I could be wrong, but anyway, the reason I know all these things about Matt is because he is a frequent visitor to the Picky Fingers VIP Lounge. Now, all of this is tied together because if you want to be a supporter of the show, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. You can sign up to support the show and then... Uh, You also get invited to these VIP lounge meetups, which are basically video meets with myself and your fellow listeners. And we discuss, you know, all of the really important things in life, such as uh, banjos and uh, banjo tunes and banjo picks and stories about banjos, you know, all all the important stuff. So like I said, join uh, Matt and myself and your fellow supporters uh, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and thank you so much once again to Matt Hermstead for being today's supporter of the show. Speaking of that VIP lounge meetup, the next one, or uh, those happen monthly, I should say, and the one for November has just been scheduled for November 28th at 12 p.m. noon, and that is Eastern time. So I hope you can all join me for that. I also encourage you to get a hold of me directly with any questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast. I know we all have a lot of concerns. So that is pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. I always love hearing from you listeners. It reminds me that there are actually people out there, and I'm not just talking into this microphone in my basement uh, for no reason. So yeah, hit me up uh, with any of that, and we can keep in touch. That pretty much wraps up the news portion of the show. I do have a few things in the works that will be surprises, mostly in in the way of bonus episodes uh, coming up in the near future, but I'm not going to spoil that surprise. I'm going to let that come to you a a little more organically, and what I mean by that is I'm going to keep procrastinating, but you'll see it eventually. Just make sure you are subscribed to the show on your favorite podcast app, and those will pop up as soon as I get them done. Today's featured guest is Chris Elliott of the Colorado-based band Chain Station. Chris learned banjo from the great Alan Mundy and went on uh, with the band Spring Creek to be the only band to win both the Rocky Grass and Telluride Band Contests. So he is experienced not only as a student and performer, but also as a band and banjo contest uh, competitor and then also a teacher. So he is able to share all sorts of really cool playing advice, uh, and this episode is chock full of that. So please give a warm Picky Fingers welcome to this episode's special guest, Chris Elliott. So my name is Chris Elliott. Uh, I'm from Houston, Texas originally, and I live in Boulder, Colorado. And I honestly started playing banjo. It was completely random. I just signed up for a banjo lesson one day, and uh, and here I am now. So, 
So I, I need more information about this. I guess, how old were you and how does a kid... Were you, were you a kid when this happened? Actually, I was 19. Um, okay. I, I'm picturing a kid signing himself up for, for a banjo lesson. It didn't make sense, but right. that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. I started, I guess, maybe a little later than uh, some people who decide to be a professional banjo player. Um, I started when I was 19, and uh, I had played guitar. Music has been in my family uh, my whole life, and... And I played guitar, and when I graduated high school, I still knew that I wanted to play music. I wasn't exactly sure what path I was going to take. And I uh, signed up to go to South Plains College in Leveland, Texas, and mm. uh, wanted to take... I saw that they had a lot of like alternate instruments. They had steel guitar, they had banjo, they had fiddle... Uh, jazz guitar, just bluegrass guitar, anything that you really wanted to take um, in the country bluegrass world. And I saw banjo and it was literally a reflex that I just signed up for it because I had seen banjo and I knew that it was a cool instrument and I was interested in that. And so I literally just signed up randomly and uh, started taking lessons. So Wait, so are you saying that your first experience with the banjo is when you went off to South Plains College? Exactly. Oh, um, wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's really, an, it was kind of a unique situation, the whole thing. Because like I say, I did play guitar and we had a banjo at my house. Pretty much, I was around a banjo my whole life, like just this mm -hmm. cheap banjo. It never really even had all the strings on it. But I just thought it was such an odd and interesting looking instrument um and i was always just kind of fascinated by it but had no idea what to do with it so so at that point you didn't really uh, i'm i'm guessing you probably didn't have an appreciation for the fact that alan mundy is there and what his stature is among the banjo community exactly so like I said, I just signed up and I had no idea who my teacher was or anything. I, I really just wanted to learn a couple of rolls and chords so I could just, you know, play along mm. with people, you know, around the campfire or something and had no idea who Alan was. And I just, you know, after I, you know, I met him and then I started taking lessons and just really immediately just fell in love with the instrument. Like, um, and his teaching style... Um, I had never actually studied anything properly before I started taking banjo lessons. Like, uh, this was the first thing that I really yeah. was, like, taking, you know, I wanted to take it somewhat seriously because I was like, this is really cool. You know, this guy is really cool. I like Alan. You know, his just approach yeah. is very, very humble and uh, very witty and funny guy, you know. So he's just fun to uh -huh. be around, too. So, Yeah. Does South Plains get, I mean, I, I imagine you took to it, having played guitar, you probably took to it quicker than had you, you know, just been fresh off the street or whatever. But does um, South Plains get a lot of beginner on their, uh, beginner level students on their instruments? You know, yeah, actually they did. Um, huh. There was just... I didn't realize that. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, when I was there, I thought it was really kind of crazy because... There was this older guy, probably in his 70s, who moved to Leveland from England and lived in <laughs> Leveland from England and uh, and start. he just started taking banjo lessons there. And he just, you know, he just loved it so much. He was just like, I love banjo. And he's like, I'm staying here for the rest of my life. And he did. And... Yeah, that's so crazy because I I have not been to Leveland myself, but from everything I hear about it, it's just in the middle of nowhere, and it's the only like thing in town, and you're just there. So that's got to be a crazy experience for someone who you were just talking about, the guy from <laughs> from England who's exactly. just in Leveland. Right. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, another guy that he wasn't a beginner named. Gus, he was from Sweden, and he moved there from Sweden to learn from Alan, you know, and mm -hmm. I was just like, it was really great. It was cool. I was meeting 
people from all over the world right in Levelland, you know? So it was a cultural experience in some ways too. Yeah. Well, and speaking of this, and I think we've maybe connected a couple of these dots. Were you not there at the same time as my former bandmate, uh, Brandon Foote? That's exactly right. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, that I was thought cool. that was the case. Yeah, that was cool that we put that together too. Um, yeah, I think he he may have started like a year or two after me, and he played mandolin, right? Does he still right. play mandolin? Um, mandolin and guitar. Yeah, he does. Okay. Yeah, we were in some ensembles together, and we uh, we definitely palled around and picked a lot. Um, that oh, was that's probably, so cool. Yeah, around 2003, probably, or 2000, yeah, something like that. that but yeah, he was a lot of fun. I definitely right. miss, uh, I miss picking him with him. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll let him know you said hey. Yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> he was super cool. Talk about what you learned from Alan. Like, what sticks with you that, that he taught you way back in the day? And I know you were just starting out, so I'm, I'm sure a lot of it was just the fundamentals, but... Do you, do you ever hear Alan's voice in your head uh, telling you things still? And, and uh, if so, what are they? Well, since I was starting from complete scratch, which I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really happy I was because, you know, that gave him the complete opportunity to just start me off, you know, how he would start somebody off, which was a really cool, unique thing to happen. You know, it wasn't like I was already kind of playing this thing and then, went there and he was trying to fix all my problems or anything. He just you sure. know, started me. So his approach was, uh, it's very logical. It's, you know, really technique based and just got me started with all the, all the basic things that you would really start somebody off with, like anchoring your hand on the head and, mm-hmm. you know, basic hand position. And we really just started with uh, very simple like patterns, um, this thing called the single note pinch, and we started learning uh, Boil Them Cabbage Down and Goodnight Ladies and Cripple Creek. Mm-hmm. And I can I can show you kind of what we were doing on the very... Oh, yeah, for sure. ...the very beginning here. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear it. Just to give you a, a slight example of just the first things that I ever played on the yeah. banjo there. So then, tell me about the rest of your experience as you started to advance a little bit while while you were there. What kind of things did Alan really have you do that um, maybe are even still part of your repertoire or your techniques that you like to use? Yeah. So one thing that I, I kind of value more than anything else that I've learned on the instrument is the way that he showed me how the fretboard lays out in a very linear way with mm-hmm. using single string, like single note scales or scales on single strings. So like say all the way up the first string, say the G scale, and then the G scale all the way on the second string, and then the G scale all the way on the third and the fourth. So what I started doing there, this is kind of just beside songs, I was learning tunes and stuff uh, Mm -hmm. as as well, but um, just this kind of made me envision the neck in a really logical way to where I, it was also, he calls it role logic, where each string has a certain set of roles that work for that particular string. So for the first string, mm-hmm. I had this set of roles that I was using for the first string. So I could play melodies, like very simple melodies I would start playing on the first string. And then I would do the same thing with the second string and I would just explore that scale uh, just in G at first, and then I would use specific roles like a forward roll or like a foggy mountain breakdown roll that works on the second string. And then I would do the same thing on the third, and that has its own set of roles that you can do, probably you know four or five mm-hmm. basic ones. And then that's when I started putting um, all the intervals. I'd combine the scales, and then i put all the intervals on different strings, so I'd be playing my thirds, say, on the first and second string, and then 
the same rolls plus a few more would apply to that. And then I would play my sixths, say on the first and third string, all the way up using yeah. specific hand positions with roll patterns. And so that just was just a great way for me to visualize it. And then beyond that, you start to put your triads together and you see how it all builds up in this logical way from one string to two strings to three strings. And then I could see the whole key, like whatever key that I was on. If I was in the key of C, I could figure all that stuff out in C and it'd just be right there or in G. I worked in G for you know a really long time. Uh, yeah. before I had to really even do anything else. But but it's great because it's a great way to see the the fretboard. I ho hopefully that's a, I'm describing this stuff uh, in an understandable way. I think so. It, so. it sounds really like what it boils down to is he told you how to find what notes you want to play. And then once you find those notes, where depending on where that note lies in terms of the, the string you have to play it on, you, right. you have these uh, tools to, to help you play it properly. Right. So there wasn't, it just kind of cut out a lot of guesswork. Like, uh, what role do I use for the first string? You know, I had like five roles that worked for that. So I could just, yeah. you know, and, and you have the choice of what string you would like to place the melody on. So, mm -hmm. um, and then if you want to make it sound a little bit more advanced, you can put play the melody with sixth or uh, thirds or different, whatever interval that, you know, you want to do with that. So do you, are you able to easily demonstrate the different roles that might, might work for each different string, just so people can kind of hear how that uh, lets those notes jump out a bit? Yeah, exactly. So I'll just, um, all right. So I'm going to start with the, with the first string uh, and then I'm going to use uh, a forward roll on the first string. what's called the Dillard or the Osborne roll on the first string. Mm -hmm. um, now I'm going to do a foggy mountain breakdown roll on the second string. Is that a good example or? Yeah, I think so. And and I guess the only other detail is just those notes that you're playing happen to be the, the notes of the G scale just starting on the open string. Is that right? Yes. Yep. So it's just, I'm just starting on each open string, which is a great thing to do because if you can launch off of an open note, you know, on any of those chord tones, then you can, because mm -hmm. uh, you know, melodies will be starting on any of those chord tone possibilities. Right. So, so it just gives you uh, as many options as, as you, you know, need or whatever. So. Yeah, for sure. At this point, do you consider yourself as a result of this? Do you consider yourself a, a very Mundy-esque player? You know, uh, that's a really good question. At first, my whole first five years of playing, I was really uh, striving to sound like Alan. Um, after I did, you know, learn a lot about him and his music and Country Gazette and all that, you know, I was just a big, big fan. And so I was taking lessons with him twice a week for about five years. Oh. So uh, I got a lot of, um, you know, a lot of good stuff out of that. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I think I went to my first bluegrass festival. It was the Guthrie, Oklahoma Bluegrass Festival, uh, Byron Berlons. And it was my first 
time to go out and really jam in a campground, you know, and I had been playing banjo for about a year at that point, I think. And, you know, I got into a jam with um, some people when we were playing Blackberry Blossom and I was playing Alan Mundy's version. And they were like, hey, that sounds like Alan Mundy, you know, and I, it just <laughs> kind of made me feel really good. So I was like, yeah, so, of course. you know, that's a great compliment, I thought. Sure. So I started, uh, you know, just learning as much of his stuff as I could and uh, just got really into the melodic style. But, you know, after, uh, you know, uh, eventually you want to try to be your own player, you know, because eventually it's just kind of like, well, what, who am I as a player, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and then I just got into listening to a lot of different people along the way too. You know, when I started listening to Tony Trishka, I really wanted to improvise. I really wanted to learn, you know, and Alan has very well-tailored breaks, so he's not, he doesn't really improvise in the bluegrass sense, but Trishka does and, you know, Bela Fleck and all those. So when I got into those guys, I, you know, I was like, I really want to learn how to improvise. So, uh, so I started trying to go down that path and just, I really, it's, you know, I, I love learning other people's stuff, but I had this thing, like, if I learn enough other people's stuff, it'll hopefully morph into my own style at some point. You know, it's hard to, hard to know how that's working. I just kind of play all the things that I like and uh, hopefully it comes out original in my way, you know, hopefully. I always solicit questions from from Facebook listeners and one of them wanted me to ask you if there are any other instruments or maybe non-bluegrass styles that have highly influenced your playing. Yeah, well, through the banjo, I it got me into jazz playing, which uh, which is something that I've, uh, you know, didn't really listen to before. It's kind of, I feel like a lot of banjo players are like that though. You, you learn Scruggs and you learn the melodic and then out of nowhere, you're like, I want to play jazz on the banjo, you know? Yeah. Um, not that I'm like some, you know, high level bebop player or anything, but I really just kind of wanted to have some extra solos to play on like Foggy Mountain Special, you know, like some cool, okay cool different things that I could do. And um, Alan happens to be a great jazz player. So, you know, so that kind of influenced me. And I tried, you know, to learn, as, pick up as much as I could from him in that, in that world. So like guitar, I listened to a lot of jazz guitar, like Charlie Christian is one of my, uh, oh, yeah. you know, I learned a lot of stuff from him. I spent, um, you know, a little time transcribing a lot of his solos. On the banjo, just to see where the notes were. You know, yeah. uh, some of those notes aren't easily accessible just because of the first string is tuned to an E, and then you also don't have the low E either. So you kind of you have to kind of uh, work around that the best you can. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but I try to make things comfortable on the you know uh, how how it feels comfortable, but still kind of get those sounds uh, the best that I can, you know, which would be kind of more for me in the single string style. Uh, that just seems to be the best way, it, like stuff like that laid out uh, for me anyway. Yeah, I've transcribed a few Charlie Christian solos actually too, and basically I, I've come to learn that like when in doubt, just guess diminished arpeggio <laughs> it seems like he's doing that right every, yeah every every solo yeah it can get kind of ambiguous a little bit but it did teach me a lot about uh playing kind of inside the chord you know and using all the the colors available to say like a dominant seventh chord that's another thing like as far as um some of the things that i picked up from alan is using color tones over say like a dominant seven chord like and so in like in that situation a dominant seventh chord which to the to the theory minded you know you got your one three five and flat seven so then the color tones w would be what like the the six and the two and the nine yeah. is that what you're talking about yeah mostly um the the flat seven and the nine is the things that i kind of try to highlight but basically say if it's a g7 chord i would do something that looks like a d minor chord you know um i can kind of give you an example really quick here yeah you know? yeah sure uh 
Um, that's just kind of one little passage that kind of Allen stuff type types of things that I like to use uh, to, you know, kind of jazz up um, maybe a normal sounding bluegrass tune. And there's some, you know, a lot of other things you can do, but. Are, are there, are there any other specific like techniques or approaches that you think uh, are essential to your personal style that, that you find yourself using a lot? You know, I, I kind of got into like, like I was saying, I was trying to, to get in to different players and do my best to come up with uh, like my sound or whatever that is, you know. So mm -hmm. I definitely start to use, I use a lot of single string um, to the best of my ability. And yeah. uh, obviously we all know that's a really difficult um, thing to do on the banjo. And so um, I just embrace my limitations as much as I can mm -hmm. on that. And when it comes to speed, I kind of evaluate the speed <laughs> uh, and just see if it's something that, that's going to come out naturally or not, you know. So right. um, when I am playing single string, you know, I use a lot of, uh, you know, your basic scales. Like I was saying, I play the scales up each string. Well, I've all, I also kind of learn them across like, I guess, in a horizontal way, but um, just kind of going through all the modes in that way, which I think a lot of us do this, but. Right. So that kind of thing. And then the other thing that I do as far as say if things are getting too fast and I'm, you know, struggling playing lines single string, I like to use a lot of open drone notes within um, as like a pedal tone type of a thing. So, mm. um So, yeah, cool. Things that, you know, things that I can uh, rely on that are going to get me through higher tempos. And I actually really, <laughs> I, I know it's kind of a trick, but I really like the sound of those drone strings. I mean, you can't do that oh, in totally. every key, but you can do that in, you know, G and a lot of, you know, a lot of other keys you can utilize those open strings in. Sure. Um, key of C and D for sure. Um, uh -huh. And then if I'm... You know, playing, I, I kind of would use uh, the jazzier sounds over just something like, say, a blues. Um, mm -hmm. Like if it was just any kind of 12-bar 12, 12 blues or uh, jazzy blues you might run into uh, at a jam or something. And then I really just try to outline the chords as much as I can. I'm trying to play too much probably right now, but but I, th I think I get the idea. Yeah, you're trying to outline that those chord shapes with some extra jazzy chromaticism going on. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's not really the best solo thing to do, uh, <laughs> solo banjo, I guess. But um, another thing that I I like that I try to utilize is um, you know lots of like pull-off ideas, like say mm -hmm. in the middle of an improv, um, like say, here's a lick I learned from Alan a while ago and it's just, it sounds like. So I would take an idea like that and just try to expand on it and I would kind of move that maybe through the scales and then try to just expand on like a line going up the neck.
stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Kind of fun to use, like if you're, you know, trying to stretch out a little bit. Hey folks, it's time for me to introduce you to a brand new Picky Fingers sponsor, and that's GHS Strings. Now, GHS might be a new sponsor, but uh, they're definitely not new to the string business. They've been making some of the best banjo strings on the market since 1964. They use their proprietary lock twist on the plain steel strings for incredible stability, extra large loops for easy installations on any tailpiece, and a wide range of gauged sets for every player. My personal favorite that I've been using for years is the PF145s, but they do have a lot of options for uh, whatever your preference is. And they're very durable, have a long lifespan, and probably my favorite part is that these things are made right down the street from me in Battle Creek, Michigan. So not only do I think they are the best strings out there, but I can feel good about supporting a local company. And I'm not the only one who thinks very highly of their strings. GHS strings are also used by J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, Todd Taylor, Bela Fleck, and a lot more. So go check out what they have to offer at their website, ghsstrings.com. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of banjo instruction with courses including Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward Style Banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Each course includes high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play with. So what I need you to do is join any of Peghead Nation's video courses, and you're going to get your first month's free uh, just by being a Picky Fingers listener. Go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's all one word, all lowercase. And once again, that gets you your first month free at pegheadnation.com. The Picky Fingers podcast is also sponsored by Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted instruments. We all know how cool it is to be able to support the locally owned mom and pop businesses rather than going to the big box stores. Well, with Elderly Instruments, you're getting a place that's been family owned since 1972, located in Lansing, Michigan, but they do ship worldwide. However, shopping at Elderly Instruments doesn't mean a compromise in quality. They have a vast selection of acoustic and electric guitars, banjos, ukuleles, mandolins, and all the accessories and books you might need. They have a world-renowned repair shop that sets up all the instruments, and perhaps most importantly, a down-to-earth knowledgeable sales staff that is there to help you with anything you need from advice on the high-dollar vintage instrument that you're looking for right down to what picks you should buy. They're happy to help, and they're just a phone call or an internet search away. Go to elderly.com or call them at 517-372-7880 and tell them Picky Fingers sent you. Let's transition and, and talk about some of these contests. I was reading up, and if I remember right, you were with... Uh, Spring Creek when you won both what the Rocky Grass and the Telluride band contest within a year? Yes, yeah, that was uh, that was a really amazing time for sure. Um, we were just uh, we all met at South Plains too. so that's kind of an interesting part of that. Um, we were all students there and all started the Spring Creek Bluegrass band and ended up moving to Colorado and we <laughs> moved to Lyons. And it was kind of like this big deal. You know, we were just kind of getting started and uh, really excited about playing. We were just, you know, we had just recorded our first album, Rural and Cosmic Bluegrass. And the kind of the idea was we were going to go there and we were going to try to win those contests. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was just a time where we were, you know, we were really, really hungry for, you know, playing and uh, doing well. So... Uh, we just kind of worked up our our best stuff. Um, it was, you know, they're really intense, but it was uh, really good for us because it made us 
really hone in on our, our arrangements and our tunes and made us figure out what are what are some of our best songs. And we also studied a bit with uh, Sally Van Meter in town about, um, it was kind of almost a pre-production session that we had with her and, you know, she really helped us out a lot as well. Well, I'd really love to hear about what you think she she told you that made a difference or even apart from what she told you what is your general advice to bands who who might have that as a a goal of theirs yeah um you know she was great and she was she produced uh two of our albums as well so mm-hmm. we we've got a lot of uh time to work with her she's really good at just helping you kind of you know, condense your arrangements, come up with, with really great arrangements. She's just really encouraging. Uh, she's just really a really encouraging person to work with. Yeah. Um, as far as specifics, I can't remember any exact uh, changes that she made to our, our, our music, but she just helped you get the best out of your solo. You know, I'm talking from, from the studio standpoint. She was in mm-hmm. the booth all the time. And uh, when you're trying to get your solo out, she just would just help you get your best take, you know, just kind of, um, but she would, you know, tell you, Hey, this is the last take too. (laughs) You know, she'd like, you know, so she put a little pressure on you, uh, but it was just in a really good way. It was like a really positive way and always made you, you know, we always felt good about what we were doing, but yeah, from, from my, from my standpoint, um, any advice for, for bands, you know, figure out what your best, tunes are i think first off is one one of the things and uh it can be kind of difficult you know because somebody might feel really good about this song Mm -hmm. you know um but maybe it's just because they're emotionally attached to it you know um but somehow try to work through that and just figure out what your best material is and just work on that stuff a lot you know really we were practicing every week for, you know, quite a few years. So, I mean, just lots of uh, time together as a band, you know, you know, mm-hmm. we, were, we were just together. We lived together. We were, you know, <laughs> we were touring. We were working jobs together. We were just around each other. So it was like a family, you know. Yeah, it was kind of a special deal. Um, yeah, just uh, really going for it, too. You know, we were, we just hopped on stage and we're just kind of give it your all you know yeah I, th- I think that might be the thing that makes me take notice because i think a lot of people's intuition is probably very similar to being in the studio where you're you're on that stage and you want to do so well that maybe you play it safer instead of really going for it and maybe that's not the right thing to do yeah yeah um yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, at that time, I wasn't really into improvising at that point either. I, uh, you know, I was making, making, I was arranging solos, and that's just how I played it every time. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how it started with with my playing, and the same with the banjo contest as well. I won the banjo contest uh, in two thousand seven, and I think I played. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, that was it. That was, was a hell good, of a year. It was for a you, good man. year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're still the only band that had, uh, that won the Telluride and Rocky Grass in the same year. So, you know, really? we, we hang on to that, you know, we, try. Yeah. um, yeah, uh, I, I think I, I had worked up, I had done a couple banjo contests, uh, before I won this one. I think I did, I'd done it two times before and uh. I was trying, I was trying to play things a little bit too difficult, I think, you know, and I was hmm. also, you know, you just get nervous up there too, you know, it's just easy <laughs> yeah. to, um, it's easy to lose focus. This time I kind of tried some different things and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try to, to work out breaks that are very solid. I, I worked up, uh, let's see, Clinch Mountain Backstep, Theme Time, John Henry, and Shenandoah Valley Breakdown. Those are my four songs of the So year. those are real meat and potatoes kind of exactly. banjo tunes. Yeah. Right. And uh, maybe that wouldn't have gone over the same way like at Winfield, but I was like, you know, just work up something that you can play. And that's what I did. I probably worked on them for, you know, five months every day for before the contests. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, as much as I could anyway. Um, and I played those same breaks and I played them note for note. And uh, some things were, you know, I threw some melodic, basically 
the solos were kind of like a very straight ahead first one. And then I do like an up the neck thing. And then I maybe would do a combination of like melodic and, you know, just combine some different ideas. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't remember missing one note. I, it just somehow I got, I focused right through that one and, and, uh, and it worked out. I don't, it was, it almost felt like a miracle, but you know, I know that it was a lot of work too. It was, it took a lot of effort to, uh, to feel like I was ready for that, you know? Um, yeah. That's a but, huge undertaking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're fun though. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I've lost, uh, plenty of banjo contests, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it felt, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice though. You know, it's a, it's great practice. I can say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So fast forward a bit and catch us up nowadays with, uh, your band chain station. How did that all happen? And what, what's that band like for you? So chain station is probably the, it's the most different band that I've ever been in. I've mostly been in more traditional bluegrass settings, I guess. Uh -huh. This band is different. They're a really fun band. Like, uh, they're great entertainers and they have a great stage show. And it's just a fun, it's fun to be a part of that. Now, I'm not saying I'm fun. I'm a banjo player. So, you know, <laughs> I'm very serious on stage and, you know, I'm trying yeah. to hit right notes. No, it, it does make it a lot of, it makes it a lot of fun for me. It's kind of the most, I'd say, jam band type of a band that I've ever been in. Behind the sky, hold the stars. They get us through a lonesome night Every star has a story Each one brings you was uh you know wanting to be in a band where we can stretch out which we do we you know we take a lot longer solos um we have uh that's uh guitar mandolin bass and banjo and uh, fiddle mm -hmm. right now in that band so and yeah we were very busy this summer we went out uh, we did a midwest tour for let's see six we were out for six weeks straight so did you uh, come to Michigan? I don't remember hearing about anything about that. We did go to Michigan. Um, oh dang! I'd I have to. You. Yeah, I'd have to like look up our schedule to remember exactly where it was. <laughs> it was a really long. It might have been yeah, hours away. Who knows? Let's uh, let's shift gears slightly. Talk about your new uh, banjo school that you have going. Tell people what's your approach to that, how it's set up, and I guess what people could expect if they look into enrolling sure um so this is called elliot's banjo school.com and it's a video lesson website and it also includes downloadable tablature with uh with backing tracks too uh, for tunes and it has uh, beginner intermediate and advanced levels so it's a subscription website so if you sign up it's very simple and you have access to all the videos. So there's, it's just kind of by month basis. You have uh, one month, you could do a six month, a year or a lifetime subscription. So, um, mm -hmm. and it was, it felt like a pretty big accomplishment because it's kind of the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life other than like probably learn the banjo. Like my cousin built the website at uh, Burke Creative. So if you're interested in uh, in a good website, burkecreative.com. And he built the website, but I basically filmed all the all the video lessons i had to learn how to do all this during the pandemic basically yeah. when the pandemic happened i just kind of started practicing and that's what i did for the first like you know couple of months and i was just kind of like oh cool i get a lot of practice time you know i'm getting some time yeah. on my instrument and then i was like you know you really should probably do something else you know <laughs> I, it was something i had in the back of my mind for years to to build something like this 
Um, so I just kind of made the decision and literally had to Google every step of the way or YouTube everything about it. Like I had mm -hmm. never even, you know, film edit, you know, I really just kept it pretty um, low overhead. And I mean, I used all the practical things, my phone and, and it works out great. And I use iMovie to do it. So, but I'm real happy the way it's coming out. And um, yeah, so cool. far my students are, are enjoying it. So something that caught my eye, I, I was looking through the, the website for the the school and I saw on the list of topics is uh, learning and expanding on improvising, which I think is interesting because it seems to be one of those topics improvising is that everyone is interested in, but it's really tough to teach. You know what I mean? It's it's a tough thing to explain to people how to do. So I, I don't expect you to like give away your class right here. No, but, no. Um, what, what would you say is your approach to to improvising or to working on improvising? How do you practice that? Sure. Um, I feel like there's lots of levels of improvising. So you could just improvise in the scrug style just by altering rolls and licks is one way. For somebody just who is just, you know, playing specific solos and, and they want to try to, to branch out a little bit, just try to alter certain licks like different roles like here's one this is just in a very small example but um this c7 lick uh that scruggs uses a lot and it's uh <laughs> index at the uh fifth fret second string and pinky at the first uh string um eighth fret so you could just say start with something very simple like a forward roll that would fill up two measures well, then try doing a forward and a backward roll. Or backward forward. So there's just three quick ways that you could try uh, to alter, alter one sound, basically. Yeah. Um, and the cool thing, that's what I think uh, improvising in the Scrug style is really really a lot of fun and you know with all of the all of the syncopation in those roles i think is what you know i think that's like one of the most attractive things about it and yeah. being able to just flip flop your roles from forward to backward you know because it's basically you're just constantly creating and releasing tension the whole time you know which yeah. is you know, I don't know, just a cool sound. Um, another, like, another cool thing, this is kind of maybe on the involved side of that. This is kind of maybe more of a free improvising kind of an idea, but what I would do is just grab a chord of any sort and then start putting one roll. You could start as simple as you want, just with, with the roll. And then with that chord, just start moving one finger and then start following it, and then keep building chords along the neck. So hmm. you're just kind of creating new left-hand positions. So like here's here's like one example. Um, I'm just starting up at the high F-shape G position with uh, pinky on the 17th fret. So. Um, Yeah, cool. That's just, and that, yeah. And that was only using one roll. I could imagine that you get so many 
other different combinations out of even just that exact same exercise if you start changing up what your right hand is doing as well. Exactly. Yeah. Even just that one roll, you can, you know, kind of get all sorts of sounds and it almost sounds kind of like this musical piece almost because you're just using chromaticism and it just kind of naturally makes different chord positions. And sometimes you're going to get some weird sounds, you know, uh, <laughs> what I try to do is when I get those weird sounds, I try to not get freaked out by them and just keep rolling because I'm practicing hearing things that I think sound bad on stage. And then when you hear that, just try to move a finger in a direction. And it doesn't have to be a full chord. You're just kind of training yourself to embrace weird sounds or mistakes, I guess. And then if you slide a finger in any direction, you're pretty much going to resolve that tension. So that's one of the approaches that I try. And it's not, it doesn't always work out for me, you know, but I, you know, because sometimes my improvising, it goes well. And then sometimes I'm like, well, it wasn't so great. But you just have to be okay with making these mistakes, you know, and uh, embracing mm -hmm. the mistakes and just trying to resolve those uh, to where that turns, that, that becomes the improvisation is your mistakes in a way, I guess. That's one kind of an idea. Um, yeah. And then let's move on to your gear. Tell us about your main banjo that you play and you, you know the drill. Run us through run sure. through all the uh, parts and pieces that, that you're using. So um, I have a really special banjo that I'm, it's probably one of the most, uh, my favorite banjos that I've had. I've had quite a few different ones, but now I'm playing a TB11. Um, oh. It's a 32 and it has a Frank Neat uh, radius neck on it, which I'm pretty thankful to have. Uh, because he doesn't like r making radius necks uh, very much anymore. So Yeah, I haven't seen too many. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe he actually made this one for me, to be honest. <laughs> so yeah, it's It's a 12-degree uh, radius. And uh, I have um, a Purcell bridge uh, that I had made for this, and uh, I really like it. It's an 11 sixteenths bridge. And... Um, Oh, it has a, a Yates uh, tone ring in it, too. So, okay. Um, yeah, I just love the combination. I actually bought this during the pandemic just off of a reverb, and I had a Yates uh, before this. And just, I don't know, I just wasn't you know as, as happy as I figured I could be with a different banjo. So I saw this one and uh, just kind of went for it. You know, it was kind of a risky buy, but... I went for it, and I really, really like the way it uh, way it sounds. I oh, have that's really a, cool. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I use a uh, Fishman pickup mm -hmm. in this banjo, and um, I've used those as far as we we plug in a lot with Chain Station. So, so I do that, and I kind of do these standard jam band setup where I stuff the head with a t-shirt when I'm when I'm <laughs> playing. And I don't know, I like the way that sounds when it's plugged in. And I use a uh, a Grace. Um, Alex preamp uh, as well. Right. And I just think that's a good combo. It really, the tone sounds good. Yeah, if you have to be loud, then that's kind of what your options are, something like that. Exactly, yeah. Um, and we need to cut through in certain places. So so for me, it's the best I feel like you know I can get with, uh, with my gear in a bar setting or something. Um, but I love playing through a microphone if I if I get the chance. You know, it's definitely a, it's definitely a treat to play and hear myself through a microphone. You know, with a with an old banjo like this. Yeah, that's the main. Yeah, that's the main bulk of my gear right now. What take us through? Do you have favorite picks or heads or tail pieces or any anything else like that that you're partial to? Um, the tailpiece is, it's also a pre-war tailpiece, uh, just a presto. And I have Hoffmeyer picks. I love these picks. I, I mm. used to use JF picks. I believe those were made by a steel guitar player. And those are the ones Alan used to use as well. And I just have a, uh, a golden, golden gate thumb pick. Um, the large golden gate. I've, uh, I've tried the 
the blue chips, and I think that would be, if I gave it more of a chance, I think I'd really like it. It's just, I was at a gig one time and it started slipping backwards around my thumb. Yeah. And when that happens, you're like, oh my God, I, I don't know what to do right now. So, uh, <laughs> so I like frantically put this one back on during the gig. And um, so, yeah, I've been using that for a while. It's, you know, $3 thumb pick. And, uh, Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. You said you, Enjoy playing through a mic when you can. Are you partial to any particular mics, either for live performance or even recording? Well, when I'm in a studio, I feel like I, I should actually pay more attention to this part. But uh, usually the engineer just picks something out and, you know, we just try some positions. Um, yeah. Um, but, you know, I generally, you know, we use a 57 or something. So it's nothing, nothing like a really particular for me. No, in that's that department, cool. but well, that's cool, man. I I mean, that's most of what I have uh, written down to ask you. Anything I forgot to to cover, or any other last uh, parting words of advice for uh, for listeners, or anything like that? Thank you for having me on the show for sure. I really, really yeah, you're appreciate welcome. it. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure, no, man. This is an, a real treat for me to be doing this right now, and an honor, honestly. Um, as far as advice. Find a banjo that you love to pick and play as much as you can. And I'm trying to think of it, I don't have any great <laughs> advice right now. Uh, I'll just tune for a second. That, that's the best advice. Uh, <laughs> some, some of the best advice I yeah. can think of. <laughs> yeah, you know, just uh, make sure you're in tune and uh, just have fun. <laughs> that's what I try to do, and that's like my. I try to just keep remembering why I started playing banjo, you know, and uh, um, it's because I, I love it. It's it's just I still enjoy it. I still enjoy learning. I enjoy teaching because it. I'm also I'm I'm going to be a forever student is what I am, really. You know, mm. I still love it and it uh, I still find things that inspire me. So so I'm just going to keep doing it, you know. What's the most recent thing you've found that maybe you've been working on the last, whatever, couple days or weeks? A anything new that you've been really drilling down on? You know, uh, an, one little thing that's kind of fun that I, I started playing around with is it's this, I'm relating it to uh, scale degrees and modes, but it's this contrary motion thing that kind of turns mm -hmm. into sixth, and it sounds like this, it goes. So my intervals sound like this. And then yeah. you can turn that, you can use that on any, uh, any of the scale degrees. Oops. So, um, what what right yeah. hand pattern are you using for that exactly? So what I'm doing is, let's see. So basically, the right hand pattern is just going uh, middle index thumb index middle, and it just kind of keeps uh, okay. going back and forth between that. But I kind of like this because it's I I don't really like. I haven't really been super into learning like licks per se. Um, I try mm -hmm. to find things that I can, just like a concept that I can move around and everything that I do just kind of helps me tie the fretboard together. Um, yeah. And this, you can kind of move this idea around. But it kind of leads you into the sixth. So if you are improvising and you have a particular chord that you want to start your, your solo on, you can uh, start with that roll and then kind of just continue on with your sixth if that's the sound that you're if that's the sound that you want to hear. So like or, Just a couple of kind yeah. of fun things, but I kind of like it. It's just, you know, it's just a little kind of a burst of 
um, contrary motion, and then it kind of just jumps back into something else. So I've been kind of playing around with that, improvising, and one thing that's just kind of fun is to just put, pick like a jam track out on YouTube of just like say one chord, and then I just might solo around you know, single string or whatever the concept is, I'll just like, say if it's an E minor seven chord, I'll just try uh -huh. to explore the whole neck in that mode and then um, just try to tie that together. Oh, you know what? I did have one idea with the metronome um, if you're, if you still have time. Um, yeah, of course. I, I just wanted to show you kind of, I use the metronome a lot when I practice. And so what I do is I put it on 50 and what I used to do is just put it on, you know, say 60 or 100, and then just kind of um, what we do a lot is just kind of bump it up and just kind of keep pushing your your uh, tempo. But one thing that I like to do is just put it on 50, and then I use kind of four different, I guess, rhythmic modes, I guess, is what I might call it. And what I do, to force myself to play a little slower than I might normally do. And I think this does help with, with speed. And I'm just gonna demonstrate this with just a roll first, but you can use this with scales or anything. So I'm gonna put it on 50, and then instead of just bumping it up, I'm just gonna play, start with every note right on a click. So it's gonna sound like this, so. So I'd start there, and then the next one, I would double that. So I'm gonna go one on and one in between. So I'm going. Okay, and then the next one, I'm gonna double that. So I'm gonna have four uh, with the whole click. So I'm going. And then I jump to eight, so I'm gonna have eight in between each one, so I'm going. Mm -hmm. So, very simple concept, but it's just one different way that might uh, be of interest for anybody wanting to practice with the metronome but might not know a good system for it. And that works really great with uh, more difficult stuff because it makes you start way slower than you might normally start and is mm -hmm. very honest with yourself because the main, the most important one is the first one where every note is on a click because you're getting to analyze like how you're actually hitting the string and you're you're getting to work on you know letting that note that note really means something when it's that slow mm -hmm. you know that yeah. note really matters so like if, and if you were just I mean, you could go on and on with that but um, with, you know, that can, that stuff gets boring kind of quick for some people, I think. But if you can get yourself to do that, I think that really does help a lot, you know. Um, Very cool. So Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. I've not, ta I've not taken that approach. And it's, it's a lot easier to just multiply the tempo than nudge it up every time. And uh, Yeah, and I think the other way is great, too. I just think it's kind mm -hmm. of a it's kind of just a different way to do it, you know, to mm -hmm. where you can just kind of like do these, these jumps and then start back over and then do the whole process with something different, you know? Yeah. But, and hear how each is uh, subdividing a bit better too. Right. It's just, it's kind of cool because it is a different way to subdivide the metronome, you know, um, it's giving you four different ways that you could possibly use mm -hmm. it. You know, um, yeah. so anyway, just kind of a little tidbit of extra, you know, uh, ideas for that. But yeah, of course, it's uh, great stuff. Well, well, thanks again, Chris. Uh, before we let you go, 
Uh, make sure we have your your websites and anything else that you want people to know to, for them to, uh, you know, come check you out or maybe even go see a gig. Yeah, so you can check us out at chainstationmountainmusic.com and we're pretty good about keeping our, our live shows uh, posted. And uh, if you are interested in just starting banjo or learning some different things, please check out um, elliotsbanjoschool.com. And that's two L's and two T's, right? Right. Yep. E-L-L-I-O-T-T-S banjoschool.com. Banjo school. Excellent. Thanks, Keith. I really appreciate it. And that was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. The song clips you heard in this episode were Under the Gun, performed by Spring Creek, Seven Come Eleven, performed by Benny Goodman Orchestra, and Mother Nature, performed by Chain Station. Extra special thanks once again to Matt Hermstedt, today's Patreon supporter of the show. Go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a supporter yourself. And that is also how you get invited to the monthly VIP Lounge video meetups with myself and your fellow listeners. November's VIP meetup is scheduled for uh, Sunday, November 28th at 12 p.m. noon Eastern time. Hope to see you all there. Contact the show pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And that's going to do it for this episode. I'll see you all next time. <laughs>